Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Our Reasonable Voice today is Rosanna E. Tufts, M.M. Rosanna Tufts might best be described as a polymath, a person of great learning in several fields of study. Bitten by the history bug when she was only in the sixth grade, she has absorbed the history of many different subjects, including alternative and natural health, religion, politics, and, of course, the lively arts. Rosanna Tufts is a past president of a local Toastmasters club and for five years hosted a radio show called The Tufts Get Going. Rosanna is a composer of musicals and a mezzo-soprano, with a master's in music from the Peabody Conservatory of Music, my old alma mater. Rosanna is also the composer of a rock opera called The Passion of Persephone, which but <laughs> funny, which was directed at the Capitol Fringe Festival by yours truly. I'm only laughing because that's a note that Rosanna slipped me. Okay, so polymath and dear friend Rosanna E. Tufts, welcome to the Reasonable Voices, and how are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me on, and it's so great to hear your voice. Well, thank Again, you. it's been such a long time. It really has been, and I know I know we've both been busy, and it was wonderful working together. And we, actually, I think you had me on your uh, your show, the Tufts Get You've Going. You've been on my show a couple of times. A couple of yes, times, I yes. I remember one time you were on my show, and we were giving a uh, you were giving me a rundown of all four at the time presidential candidates in 2016. Because the conventions were still going on at the time. They hadn't happened yet. Yes. Uh, was I good? Was I? Oh, yes, you <laughs> were wonderful. <laughs> I don't want to go back and, th- and think about my predictions. All right, but in any case, are you back in the radio business? What are you up to lately? Uh, well, as far as radio goes, I as I actually went on hiatus for a very long time from radio, and I just now started up a new show not called the tufts get going i'm calling it 
radio-free pagans in the same vein as radio-free Europe, uh-huh. which you remember, of course, uh, broadcast news of the world to countries that were behind the Iron Curtain Yes, back during the Cold War. And I had been out of the radio for quite some time because you remember the Tufts Get Going was all about how ordinary people can do extraordinary things and change the world or their little piece of it. And then the election happened in 2016, and it just completely, it was a a gut punch, a sucker punch. And it just completely took the will right out of me. I mean, mean, how could I presume to be telling people how they can use their own personal initiative when the very foundation of what enables us to function at all mm-hmm. was at extreme risk of being taken away from everyone with the prospect of a fascist government takeover. Mm. I mean, at this point, let's not miss words anymore. We have to call it what it is. And I think I should insert, if I may, at this point, Rosanna, we are recording this on Monday, uh, November 2nd. So we don't know the results of the election at the time of this recording. Go right ahead, dear. And I expect we will not know by Tuesday night either, because it's very likely this is going to be hotly contested for the next uh, couple of months. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of massive voter suppression efforts and, and mass confusion that's going to make the uh, butterfly ballots from 2000, the 2000 election look like, uh, look like passing notes in grammar school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Rosanna, I've always thought you were very strong and independent thinker as well as a great talent. But also, you have strong opinions, and you don't mind sharing them. And I, I wonder if that has anything to do with your last name. I know it's of ancient Anglo-Saxon origin. I don't know if yes. I've ever asked you about that. Tell us. Oh my, oh my name, <laughs> Tufts, actually derives from a Danish word, ah. Tuft, and it refers to a plot of land that's been built, uh, marked out to have a house built on it. Oh. Uh-huh. And given that it is about a thousand years old, that leads me to believe that my ancestors sailed with the Utes back when De- Denmark was called Jutland. Mm. Hmm. Well, so how does that make you feel, or do you do you feel that uh, that blood running through yes, your veins? Yes, I have Viking blood. <laughs> <in me. laughs> you know. Also, something else. I mean, I mentioned or hinted to that I too graduated from Peabody. I won't mention the year, so I won't ask you. But what decade did you attend? Oh, that was in the nineteen eighties. Oh, okay. Well, yes. we we were not there at the same time. I'll just say that and leave it there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> But I loved Peabody, and oh, and actually, something you would be interested in, when I was at Peabody, which will date me now, they had an opera department per se, but it had no desire to have any dramatic component to it. And I very much pushed and pushed for that, and got petitions and everything signed, and we did end up bringing in Robert Lawrence to conduct 
which was already a, a great improvement, his being now in charge of the opera department, but he brought with him a CBS TV director, Harvey Vincent, who was the first, uh-huh. yes, yeah. he, he was the first director of the opera department, and he, Harvey, hired me to be his assistant director. So there. Uh-huh. So I knew, I've never really shared that story, but I know you would be interested because of, you know, yes. what you do and are and all that. So how my history of Peabody as well. Yes. Exactly. How <clears throat> was how was your time at Peabody? Oh, my time at Peabody, I was kind of an odd duck <laughs> 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 uh, because I was not a performance major. I was actually a music history major. Ah. So instead of actually putting together a, a graduation recital as a soprano, my big thing was writing a biography of a pioneer in music education in this country who happens to be my great-great-grand-uncle. Oh, who is this? And that was John Wheeler Tufts. And back in the 1880s, mm-hmm. 100 years before I was at Peabody, he composed something called the Normal Music Course. And this was at a time when there was this great westward expansion and a need to have consistent curriculum across all of the little red schoolhouses across the country. Mm-hmm. So if this was preceded by, that you may be familiar with the Silver Burdett Publishing Company, uh, they published the normal course in reading, and then the normal music course was the successor to that. Yes, yes. I remember the second book, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Wow. Here's one I, I know will be out of the blue, but what would your signature tell us about you? And you know why I'm asking that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, because I'm a handwriting analyst as well. My signature would probably tell you that I am an extrovert and that I love being around people and I am emotional by nature and respond well to emotional appeals, more emotional than I am logical, mm-hmm. uh, but but not to an extreme extent. Gotcha. Uh, also that I have a great deal of determination and that I pick up things very quickly. Okay. All right, then. I love that. It all sounds like you to me. I mean, after all, we've worked together, <laughs> so I can, I can attest to that. We share uh-huh. a passion for history and, and politics and the arts. I always find those three things come natural to me, so that was part of what appealed to me about working with you and knowing you, that you also are very much into history and politics and the arts. And as a writer, I often connect the dots between 1930s Europe and America's current political climate, shall we say? Yes. Uh, tell uh-huh. us, give us your views on that. I mean, how do you, con- do you see a connection? <laughs> I'm sure you do. Oh, very uh, much so. Very much so. In fact, this, uh, this all came about my resurrection of uh, my radio show in the form of a podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, it actually came about from somebody asking me a very good question. Mm. He wanted to know what is the difference between fascism and Antifa. Oh God! Because because he was very confused about sure. that, and of course, you know, uh, currently what's been going on is we've had fascist agitators breaking glass windows in commercial district and making it look like leftist agitators were 
to blame yes yes Uh, and there was also this story back in september of somebody who was a self-proclaimed leftist agitator who was killed by federal agents because they thought he was getting ready to shoot at them and that's how the incident was reported at the time but it later turned out that although this man was armed his weapon was not in his hand it was still in his pocket and that the agents did not try to arrest him first Uh before killing him goodness yeah so, so anyway, when, so I thought, you know, I, this this man is an avid Trump supporter, uh-huh. and he, he's my boss's brother, uh-huh. so he's not exactly someone that I can easily block or unfriend on Facebook. <laughs> yes. I have to at least try to stay on good terms with him. So, but I was so stunned in the moments that he actually asked me this politely mm-hmm. and sincerely. He wasn't combative about it. Mm-hmm. I was so stunned I didn't know how to answer in the moment. So I said, oh, let me get back to you on this. Well, once I started doing the research on this, and it's actually a good thing to challenge one's own assumptions every yes. once in a while. Yes. <laughs> Not everybody's willing to do that, mm-hmm. but I had been under the impression all these years that fascism and Nazism were all about the persecutions of various minority groups. Mm -hmm. Jews back then, people of color now, and gays and lesbians, and all the rest of them. Well, it turned out that really the driver behind all of that was privatization. Uh Uh Economic privatization because When Mussolini took power in Italy in 1922, that was the first thing he did. Mm. He privatized as many government services as he could. And then when Hitler became chancellor 11 years later, he started doing the same thing at a giddy pace that impressed even Mussolini. Mm -hmm. And then the persecutions kind of followed on from that as a way of distracting the people from what was was really happening. They Mm -hmm. were blaming all of these minority groups to, as if they were to blame for the reason why Italians and Germans' lives sucked. Yes, yes. Do you think, and this may be off the wall, but you can handle it, I'm sure. Do you think that the the Women's March of 2017 and the post-George Floyd murder, Black Lives Matter protests, and for that matter, Trump's Bible photo op, were yes. they all being manipulated to distract us? And if so, distract us from what? And who is responsible for the distracting? Um, Well, as far as the Women's March goes and the Black Lives Matter protests, they weren't manipulated by the government. I mean, they spontaneously arose from the grassroots, from the people themselves. Mm -hmm. The photo op, on the other hand, is something that was definite manipulation, because you may remember Trump was hiding out in a bunker yes. while the protests were going on in the streets. Yes. And then once he realized, oh, this is making me look weak. It's making me look like a coward. I have to do something. Mm-hmm. 
So he gets up and uh, has his uh, militia clear the way with rubber bullets and tear gas for that photo op in front of a church that he had never set foot in, so far as I know, yes. and holding the Bible upside down <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and looking for all the world as if it was going to burst into flames in his hand. When I was asking, I wasn't comparing the events by any means, but I, yes. I wonder what are your thoughts about any politician, let's put it that way, and the media and how they talk about the Women's March or the Me Too for that matter and the protests after George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor's uh, uh, killings, let's call them that. How yes. do you think they that these intentionally or not are politicians, which is probably more intentional, and, uh, and the media might, may be a little less intentional, are they manipulating those events and by, and by extension us? I'm just curious what you think. Well, I think it's almost as if, at least in the case of Fox News, uh-huh. I would presume they must have some kind of a writer's room where they have powwows and they sit in there and they see what's, what the news is and, and what the reporting is from uh, elsewhere in the country. And they think, okay, how can we spin this? What mm. is the worst possible descriptors that we can come up for this? to make it look as though these are horrible things that are happening and they are all designed to to take power away from white heterosexual men who are the most persecuted group in this country now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to to stop you right there. That is great. We're going to take a, a break. This is an upbeat ending for segment one. Stick around. Trust me, Rosanna uh, Tufts has a lot more to say. We're going to talk about the theft of public goods. Do you even know what public goods are? But I will I let her continue what she was saying also. Uh, but we'll get back to all the white men. Don't worry. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Rosanna Tufts. Hello, I'm Michael Tiffany, producer of Midnight Madness Radio. And if you would like to hear some of the latest rock and metal music, some of which has not even been released to the public yet, then tune in to Midnight Madness Radio. Midnight Madness Radio is on Digital Revolution Radio, Saturdays, 12 to 4 a.m. Central Time, and is available on Radio Shaker and Live 365. We are also on LA Rocks Radio, Tuesdays, 1 to 5 p.m. Central Time, and Pure Rock Radio, Saturdays, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Central Time, and is on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitchers, and more. I am committed to bringing you some of the best hard rock and metal music from today's up-and-coming bands, and giving those bands a chance to shine for music fans worldwide. So join us on Midnight Madness Radio each week for great entertainment. You can find Midnight Madness Radio on Facebook and check out our website at midnightmadnessrocks.webs.com. You can contact me at midnightmadnessrocks at gmail.com. So feel free to email me. We would love to hear from you. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. My reasonable voice today is Rosanna E. Tufts, M.M., and of course I am Marcello Rolando, your host of the Reasonable Voices, the Reasonable Voice. We have been talking about a lot of hot subjects, especially as we are pre-recording today, the day before November 3rd, 2020. You started to introduce something, and I cut you off because it was such a high note, and it's a subject I want to go back to, and that is the role that older white men see themselves playing in America. And now that I'm an older white man, I, we're going to talk a lot about that. But first, I said we were going to talk about public goods. Uh, it's a term that's out there, and, and not everyone, I don't believe, thinks about what it is. You've suggested in the past that the distractions that we're getting from the government, especially the current administration, but not just the current administration, it's all to hide the theft of public goods. Can you can you get in, down in the roots of that, explain a little more for us? Well, well, probably the most obvious public good that most people know about is the post office. Yes. I mean, you know how badly that has been attacked over the last couple of months. Yes, yes. The post office back in the 1920s and 30s, uh, railroads, phone companies. Remember, we had Ma Bell back in the day. Oh, That's yes. all privatized now. Yes, Life insurance companies were, there was like a state-run life insurance company in Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, rent control laws were eliminated back then. Government offices were removed from the more remote areas of Italy and of Germany in the name of smaller governments. Mm -hmm. Now, if this sounds familiar, yes. it should, because that was President Reagan's playbook as yes. well. That's why I asked, because I knew you would have a historical view of it. It, it is, as much as um, I think I can say freely, the two of us are anti-Trump and what he is doing to America and to most Americans. It, it didn't start with him, and we need to understand that. It's been a slow undoing, and I think it started when... Uh, when suddenly the, the descendants of the robber barons discovered that the Marshall Plan could be used to make money, including war makes money. And so, yes. and, and that, that began this whole sort of domino effect, in my opinion. But other public goods, by the way, everybody, is access to clean air and drinking water. Do you remember that Nestle, that hasn't gone away just because it's not in the headlines, Nestle is buying up and trying to set up a situation in which water is not a right. The CEO actually said that publicly. Anyway, I'll, I'll let Rosanna get back to it. I'm going to jump to the 80s for a moment. Every time I hear a Republican friend of mine canonize Ronald Reagan, and I knew people who served in his administration, and I think it's because they no longer emulate Lincoln. They're nothing like Lincoln. I mean, if Lincoln were alive today, he'd be a Democrat, but or at least an independent. But they need a folk hero as the public face for, for whatever this new Republican Party is going to be. What are your thoughts about our politics in the 1980s? What's going on? Uh, yeah, uh, with, with uh, Ronald Reagan, it's like he gave America the new Jew. Ah, uh, yes. His myth of the welfare queen. Yes, I remember the, that. The black mother who didn't earn or deserve government handouts yes and there was 
this propaganda campaign, if you will, going on at the time that everything that was wrong with America was all the fault of people who relied on any form of public assistance. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get rid of all of this. And, of course, Social Security and Medicare have been under attack for decades. Mm -hmm. And if this... If Trump gets reelected, we can pretty much kiss that goodbye. Yeah, I agree with you. I think maybe I've heard this from you before, but the creeping fascism started in the 1980s and started with when a president, Reagan, even as a candidate, said all of the things that you have just said, and including, of course, government is the problem. It shifted the thinking of conservatives in particular and we have been, I think, going in the wrong direction ever since. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, exactly. I think that not everything can or should be turned into a commodity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what we've been seeing is uh, a few people at the top scooping up all of the resources and claiming a monopoly on them a virtual monopoly in all but names so that they can then parcel it out and sell it off in pieces to us poor schmucks in, mm -hmm. in, in the neighborhoods. Yes. You know, I can even remember when, uh, when I was in college, I met an attorney who happened to be a conservative Texas Democrat. And he was conservative. He had not liked John Kennedy, but he voted for him because he was a Democrat. But he always reminded me something I know I, I've connected with you. And he, he said, you know, you liberals talking to me, you think America is the East Coast and the West Coast. What America really is, is in between the two coasts. And when I think back of the Hillary Trump campaign, I just wonder... What are your thoughts about the flyover country and what's well, happening isn't it, to it? Isn't it isn't it funny now how the word liberals is now preceded by you <laughs> all the time? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So going back to that particular campaign, uh, I mean, the, the biggest mistake Hillary made was to call the heartland peoples the the basket of deplorables yes which was a, a college level way of saying pole white trash yes yes and i mean even if she was right she should never, never have, have said, said that yes i, mean, I agree that killed her right there now if she had called them salt of the earth then she might have been, had more goodwill mm -hmm. because they do regard themselves as salt of the earth yes and I think my old attorney friend was right. We have uh, and should have learned the lesson more than even before Hillary, but certainly since, that it isn't just the West Coast and the East Coast as comfortable as you and I are in those areas of, uh, you know, performing arts. Most of America, obviously, is between those two extremes. And that's where real America is. And if you're not speaking with them and to them and understanding them, then you lose them. I, I'm constantly, I don't know, disappointed that too many Americans equate socialism with communism and fascism without seeming to and appreciate that many of the public services that we take for granted are examples of socialism. So there's your the intro. You just go. Yes. The fire department, yes. for an example. I mean, 
if you have a, a fire in your house, are you going to call around to various fire departments and to try to get the best deal to come and put out your fire? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. I mean, it, same thing with health insurance. Yes. It should be the exact same way. It shouldn't be a commodity. It should be a public service. This kind of goes right to my next question. Civic liberties, if you will, and communism and, and fascism, they're not the same thing. And again, this is something Ronald Reagan started. Explain to us what civic liberties are and, and how different they are from communism and fascism, as is socialism different from communism and fascism. You go. Okay, yes. With, uh, with communism, what you have is the government is the sole owner of all means of production. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Soviets tried to do, and they lasted longer than the fascists did in Western Europe, but they too eventually failed. But with fascism, it's like the, the opposite side of the same coin. You've got government services are replaced by private corporations, and then the government exists basically to provide firepower to uh -huh. them, to the corporations, so that nobody can go up against them. Mm -hmm. And they're aided and abetted by the full military might of the state. And corporations are given free reigns to profit at any cost, regardless of the human cost or the environmental cost. And we certainly are seeing examples of that now, no question. Yes. I hope, and I know you've put that as simply as possible for, for every one of us to be clear about, but yes. it, it, it is something I think needs to be said and, and repeated often because there are stark differences between these isms that we just throw out there, and of course Trump's being allowed to get away with a lot of that. But speaking of Trump, what do you think white straight men uh, need to do or to reclaim the humanity they've lost while fighting for the dignity they think that's been stolen from them? What do you think? Well, I think it's the, that uh, Trump... Let me, let me go back a little bit further because I think one of the things that really destroyed the myth of the white working class mm -hmm. man in this country is NAFTA. The North American Free Trade Agreement, which was passed by Clinton, yes. a Democratic president, and most people don't realize that that NAFTA was actually started under Reagan, but finally passed under Clinton, mm -hmm. and it's something that Republicans had been pushing for for years, mm -hmm. and it broke the power of the unions even worse than Reagan had, and now all... Uh, corporate bigwigs have to do is, if, when the uh, workforce starts getting uppity, is to threaten to uh, pack up shop and move to Mexico or China. Mm. And they do that all the time now. And it's kind of an empty promise when candidates of any party say, we're going to bring the, the jobs back. The, yes. One of the most extreme, ridiculous statements is Trump saying, I'm going to bring back coal. Well, it's the coal companies who left. And they left because it's not profitable anymore. Yeah. What do you think? Uh huh. Yes. I mean, as far as uh, the the white supremacists men in this country who are has, have become so Im 
emotionally fragile, but they have latched on to Trump as a folk hero, to use your term. Yes. And they think that he's going to save them, and he talks like they do. Exactly. That they, they, people said back in 2016, he says what's on his mind. Uh, no. No. <laughs> he's saying what's on your, your mind. mind. Exactly. He plays them, man. Okay, don't get me started. Oh, you go God, on. You go them. on. Yeah, but I mean, he's it's, when he started his campaign rallies initially with attacks on Hispanics and the disabled. I bet he didn't even realize how well it would work. Mm-hmm. But then when he did, he just said, "Oh my God!" So I have to keep on riffing on this. That's right. That's the thing. Yeah. He just throws out something, and if it works, then he repeats uh, it and over and yeah. over again. Uh, Ravenous red meat, throwing it to the masses. Yes, yes. So my point, though, is that uh, targeting all of these minority groups, blacks, Hispanics, women, gays, lesbians, they're not the real enemy. Mm. White men in this country think they are the enemy, but Mm -hmm. they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not to blame for any of the erosion of quality of life that they've had over the last 40 years ever since Reagan. Yes. The privatization is what has driven this slow erosion. It didn't have a dramatic upending the way the Germans and Italians did in the 1930s. Uh We had more of a a slow erosion so that you couldn't really see Uh what was happening or where it was coming from. And so they've lost their opportunities to be heroes. I think at the end, at the end of the day, every man wants to be a hero in some way. Yes, yes. They want to be strong. They want to feel like they can vanquish something. Mm. But their rage and, ang- and resentment is misplaced. They're tar- they've got the wrong target. Yeah. Like they say on the crime dramas, you've got the wrong man. Yeah, that's and true. It's, it's the captains of industry. Not that I'm advocating that they uh, get violent against the captains of industry like the French Revolution went after the nobility. Mm-hmm. But labor relations needs to make a really strong comeback in this country. Because what we're talking about here really is corporatism. You know, privatism gave way to corporatism. It's always an ism, but it's a legitimate <laughs> new ism because it's, and I always say, don't just say corporatism, it's the it's the men sitting in the boardroom it's not some it's not a building or a concept well it is a concept but it's the men who are doing it and and they're preserving something and they and the very and the white men you and I are talking about are not being protected by corporatism or the privatization unions can protect you collectivism can protect you but not the guys at the top who sit in the boardroom and make the money and and are investing their money into how to get to mars and leave us behind when the planets to finish killing it anyway we're going to end happily here you've been writing more lately tell us what you've been writing and yes, what, what you want um, to see happen Yes, uh, well, I actually, in terms of answering my boss's brother's question about fascism and Antifa, Uh that became a long-ish article, which would really work well as a booklet, Uh uh, kind of a a booklet for a more socialist movement in this country. But then I took it and turned it into a podcast to try Uh to get it into the ether and into people's ears. Uh Uh-huh. 
more broadly. So I've done that, and that was the first episode of Radio Free Pagans, which just went live last night. Okay. So you can, you can look for that, Radio Free Pagans, and the title of the episode is Fascism versus Antifa, in which I talk more about all of the things that we've been talking about today. Excellent. So how can we get yeah. in touch with you and, and you know, websites, social media? Con- I'm on Facebook under Rosanna E. Tufts. Podcast is available on Spotify and on Anchor.fm. And uh, explain how you do Spotify. How oh. do you go about that? Because that seems to be all the rage now. Oh, yeah. Well, basically, if you want to start a podcast, you can do it through Anchor.fm, and they will distribute it to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Oh, okay. Yes, and they do, and it's for free. It's the real democratization of audio. That's really excellent. I'm on Spotify all the time. As a listener? As a listener. Yes. (laughs) And I've often said to myself, I need to speak to my guys and say, you, we need to do this. Well, now I know we need to do it. Uh-huh. All yes. right. You want to tell us any more about the article, or do you want us to listen to the podcast, or both? But yeah, I d- listen to the podcast, because it's all there. Okay. And, uh, and the article right now, I had only just published to Facebook, because that's the only place I knew to put it. You know, I'm wondering if maybe places like The Nation would be interested in running it, or Medium. Yes, Medium. That's a good choice. Yes. Yeah. You can just post on Medium, much like you do Spotify. Mm-hmm. So, oh, really? I didn't know that. So, yes. I mean, that that's all kind of a uh, new venue for me. <laughs> okay. Well, now. we'll be talking more about this then off air in the, in the next weekend, because there are a couple of people I want to introduce you to. All right. Yes. Uh, so, uh, let's say the, the link for the uh, podcast again, nice and slowly for everyone. Yes, you'll go to Spotify and look under podcasts for Radio Free Pagans. And the episode is called Fantasm versus Antifa. Excellent. All right, Rosanna. My goodness, it's so good to have another conversation with you. We oh, didn't. So we, great to hear from you again. I, we, we've always loved history, and we knew each other loved history, but we, we were so busy, you know, with theater and opera and all of that that <laughs> I don't think we've ever really sat down and talked as much about it as we have today, so I'm so glad you were on the show, really. And we wish you all the very best, and we're going to send people your way, and we'll get the word out, Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. You take care sure. and all the best. Great to be on. All right. Thank you. And best okay. to and best to your daughter too. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Bye. And now enjoy Watchfire music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing "Tear Down the House" from "Is Anybody Listening." Past those who built it 
I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. America by the Numbers, Hughes, and Ballots 2020's economic woes, friends separated, and lessons unlearned beckon us now before drowning in Thanksgiving for Black Friday to reflect on who we've lost, what we've gained, and the wisdom to recognize the difference. Donald Trump's 2016 election was not a Russian-caused fluke. It was Republican gerrymandering, Georgia's Brian Kemp, and conservative Caucasian males' hatred for the female lesser of two evils. It was an overreaction to an oro in the oval flashback justification of American youth maimed and dying in Cheney Wolfowitz forever oil wars. It was Hoover's faith in privatization relegating government to a corporate line item, though losing to FDR's New Deal, becoming the smoldering infrastructure of corporatism, selling out America from within. It was failing to follow the money of Nixon's Watergate to Government is the Problem, impregnating Reagan's fantasy welfare queen. It was allowing one embittered, vengeful, pale-faced Kentucky curmudgeon cloaked in demagoguery to urinate on America's checks and balances. While 2020 was young black men understandably waiting weary for what their grandparents' Democratic Party failed to deliver, and those Latinos taken in by marketing in your face Trumpism, concealing the secrets in the sauce ingredients, stir-fried McCarthyism and Mussolini's thumbs down. But 2016 was less foreign hackers in our electoral process and more domestic Jim Crow reincarnation, closing darker-hued polling places, tampering with voting machines, straining the ignored. Nonetheless, we persisted. Unlike 2016, 2018 was a course correction and 2020 a putting away of childish things. Not, however, if we delude ourselves into believing America's ill-gotten swamp gains is a one-man bog. It is our insistence on habitually basking in the simplicity of simple answers to the complexities of United We Stand. It's our post-moment of courage, mesmerized by media-herd mentality, convinced by fourth estate descendants to ignore hyperbole, proving we could fit the Grand Canyon in the abyss separating real news reporting from conjecturing talking heads gossiping about a current event or two to the detriment of information that educates all on all else. Greater factual information providers have no Cronkite follower than this, that a stand-up news reporter wannabe network anchor lay down his breaking news misleading leads for the education of just the facts, ma'am, leaving showbiz to talented actors rather than a reality show host hoisted up by the laziness of repetition masquerading as newsworthy. 2016, 2018, 2020, all reveal it was us. Prioritizing beyond mass appeal, what we count and ignore defines us. 1. Glazed over by TV's stagnant electoral votes, 123,000 new COVID-19 cases hardly noted. 2. 9.83 million American COVID cases due in part to super-spreaders not wearing masks. 3. 236,000 COVID deaths due in part to unpresidential criminal negligence. 4. 
545 refugee asylum-seeking families dissected by our 45th president. 5. 37,085 to 37,878 veterans experiencing homelessness. 6. 20 veterans committing suicide every day. Proving the only poll that counts, both Democrat and Republican candidates won more votes than their predecessors, which says more about we the divided than either candidate. Continuing to succumb to red state versus blue state manipulation yields only self-victimizing, because victory, strength, and wisdom come from unity of purpose, thinking for ourselves, yes, but for and about all others. If only we didn't need to label everything and everyone, especially as the point one percent of the top one percent goose us with that cattle prod every time we swipe a credit card. Because we outnumber those whose existence depends on dividing us, pitting right against left is the means to end our balanced core values. It is not radical when both Republican and Democratic governors defy Trump to protect the integrity of our vote-counting process. What is radical is allowing corporate factory farms to decimate family farms. It's not radical to want affordable health care for everyone everywhere, but denying millions this common good is radically anti-American. Radicalism isn't left or right, but people centered on the falsehood that another's good diminishes their opportunities. Believing in protecting the planet isn't radical, but biblical. Embracing Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights, and gender equality is evidence of love thy neighbor as thyself, not QAnon. Corporate air polluters and Nestle's attempt to privatize ownership of water is what's radically inhumane. Not societies working together to guarantee all have clean drinking and bathing water safe from coal ash and oil spills. Healthcare pros and caregivers are radical good Samaritans, but not wearing masks, recklessly irresponsible. To survive presidential transition and the global pandemic, best we choose peace over conspiracy and unity over violence, and for individual protection, familiarize ourselves with this public service reality check. Public schools, post office, fire departments, not defunded police departments, but supplementing them with mental health professionals, united for the collective public good, is socialism. It's our right to worship a sore loser, but voting still remains a privilege, not a constitutional right. Better we count like an 89-year-old veteran signing his ballot on the gurney, transferring from one hospital to another, and share in post-voting tears of a 104-year-old patriot. Because that's American exceptionalism. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.